April 10th, 2020. A day many gamers never thought would come. The first installment of a full remake of a classic, a game that changed the world in more ways than you might think. From its groundbreaking graphics, amazing score, and a story that has infatuated millions across the world, we take a look at the journey that is Final Fantasy VII. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the More You Nerd podcast. We are here wrapping up our comfort foods section, our comfort foods month, as we are all still in quarantine around here. Miles, how you doing? I'm doing good. And honestly, I have enjoyed doing the comfort food stuff. I I feel like taking a break to just kind of go go well for us uh, go back a lot and re-experience things that either we loved when we were younger or stuff that made us feel good. It's definitely, I think, put some some positive vibes out there. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with what we put out so far, especially the second month of our return. And so I put on you to, to, to kind of wrap up our comfort food month of what to do. And I wasn't entirely shocked that you said Final Fantasy VII because I know you and I know it's one of your favorite games, one of your favorite experiences of all time, second and maybe uh, Link to the Past. Am I am I wrong in, in saying that? You are 100% accurate. It is my second favorite game of all time right behind Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. They're pretty close in all honesty. And I think about both of these games a lot. Uh, but th- this one is obviously, of course, on a lot of our minds because the remake just came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I really thought the remake was going to be something that would... I was one of the people that thought it would never happen. Even when they announced it, I was like, no way. No yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. And here we are. Finally, well, I mean, it's not a remake of the full game. We'll, we'll say that. And we're not going to be talking a ton about the remake today because it's still new. Miles, you haven't even finished it, have you? I have not completed it. I am, I would say, 60% done. I, I've I've been trying because it's the one like brand new game I allowed myself to buy. I bought a ton of stuff on sale. And I will be buying our guest from last week, Starcrossed, uh, this week. <laughs> but as far as a full $60 game, this is the one that I kind of let myself splurge on. And so I've kind of wanted to take a little more time with it because unlike you, Final Fantasy VII is not my favorite game. My favorite game came after this one. But I've always liked the story and I always thought that this was definitely one that needed more needling because of the developmental time it came from. It still, I don't think, got the full, I would say push that a PlayStation Final Fantasy game could do, and especially in terms of the writing they would eventually put into these Final Fantasy games. And so I'm glad to see a lot of that development come through in the remake. There are some pluses, some weird stuff in the remake, but I think some of the best stuff that's come out of it is the character work in that game, and which is present in the original game. I'm not saying it's not. Just... They just do this this character work, this these quiet moments that I think bring everything so much more to life. And 
And that's what I'm focusing on, not so much some of the weird moments or what they fix, what they change. Is this music in the right spot? It's the character stuff. And there are characters that I always kind of liked that I full on, I'm like, yeah, this might be one of my favorite characters in the entire franchise. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what they have done and what they have updated from 1997 to 2020. Yeah, because I've always, I mean, as everyone knows, I'm a massive Final Fantasy VIII fan, but I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I was like, man, I think Tifa might be my favorite game uh, character <laughs> of the, the franchise because, oh my God, I love, this, is, this is amazing. And, and again, Aerith, too. There, there are things that they have done in this remake that are really highlight a lot of... Just stuff that you can do now that you couldn't do back in 1997. Absolutely. But, uh, but we'll get to that. First, let's go back to 1997. Actually, that's not where Final Fantasy VII's story begins. Because Final Fantasy VII's story begins a little bit earlier, back in like 93, 94. When the development for Final Fantasy VII started for the Super Famicom. The Japanese name for the Super Nintendo. It was not originally going to be a PlayStation title at all! So depending on what developer you talk to, the original pitch for Final Fantasy VII was going to be one of a couple of things. It might have been a sequel to Final Fantasy VI, which would have been the first for a Final Fantasy game at the time. Or it might have been set in New York City as a character named Detective Joe is investigating a bunch of reactor bombings. Oh my god, I want to see the pitch for that so bad. I know, I know. It seems I, I want. I don't think... Have they ever done, like, a detective noir story in Final Fantasy? Like, flat out? Not flat out. There have been detective parts of stuff, but there's always been an air of of comedy zaniness to to the self-serious nature of a lot of Final Fantasy games that, that goes through that. I don't know. That's interesting. I well, believe it, it, it does kind of fall into the kind of... I would say 7 and 8 lean on the darker side of Final Fantasy, and, and 6 too. But these these three games especially, that's why 9 was so drastically different, I yeah. think. But I could see – I don't want to harp on this too much, but I could totally see this crazy version of New York with someone better named than Detective Joe. <laughs> well, in, in, uh, the, the, the game lead, uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, he claims that people are getting confused with the New York thing and that that's all the pre-stuff they had done for Parasite Eve. That, mm. that that's where that came from and that oh, he was never intended intending it to be in whatever but anyway uh but at the time square was struggling to complete another game for the super famicom super nintendo uh and so they shifted the majority of the development team over to help finish that game a little title called chrono trigger Oh, you know, just another stone-cold classic of the SNES era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny to think that we might not have had the Final Fantasy VII that we had, that we got because of Chrono Trigger. Like, well, so butterfly effect stuff is very interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's what I love about reading about the development of a lot of these classic games, especially from the 90s, because it is, I mean, the slightest, like, Jenga piece from collapsing almost always it's always this weird comedy of errors that just fell into place the right way yeah and that, that's almost how the series began so it's it's crazy <laughs> it was called final fantasy the first nintendo famicom game final fantasy because it might have been the final game that 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 square the company that make, makes this game ever put out 
So uh, to get back to things, by the time the team returned to the task of creating Final Fantasy VII, the video game console landscape was shifting. Um, Sakaguchi and his team were sort of one thing. It was time to make a Final Fantasy game in 3D. Nintendo was moving from the Super Famicom, or SNES, to the N64. And a new challenger of the marketplace was releasing the Sony PlayStation. The team went to work investigating and testing hardware to get a rough idea of what kind of game they could make in 3D. And I, I know we were probably going to get a little bit more deeper in this, Drew, but this is kind of where the idea that FF7 started off as an N64 game kind of comes from. Well, and then that's absolutely true, because if you think about Nintendo's relationship with Square at the time... They were very, very close. Square was considered, at least in Japan, to be basically a second-party studio, meaning not a studio that's owned by the first party and and not a studio that puts out games on multiple platforms like we think about third-party companies like EA today or even Square today, to be honest. Uh, They they were a third-party company that only made games for one platform. And it's weird because they shifted to kind of doing that with Sony for a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, again, this is this is one of those things that... So, Nintendo and Square were very close. So, Square, knowing that the N64 was going to be based on the hardware made by this company called Silicon Graphics, and that's capital S, capital G. It's the company named Silicon Graphics. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and let, let's... Uh... Be clear. This is before the merge with Enix, correct? Correct. They had. They don't merge with Enix for another. It's before nine, right? Uh, no, it's after nine. It's after ten. They don't merge with Square Enix for or until really. Enix I thought. I thought it was much like, later. Wow. Okay. We'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, a very little bit because the thing that caused it might come up in a future episode. But <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so. They they bought, they invested millions of dollars on these big workstations for creating 3D graphics, and they created a battle demo based on characters from Final Fantasy VI. I don't remember if I said this on camera or off camera last week. I remember this Nintendo 64 Final Fantasy VII uh, demo video that I had seen screenshots of in GamePro magazine or Electronic Gaming Monthly or something. <sighs> GamePro. Yeah. That's a name I haven't heard in a long oh, time. Oh, <laughs> I know, man. But, uh, and, and, but as it turns out, as doing research for this episode, it wasn't actually running on N64 hardware. This was a, a demo made for on that Silicon Graphics, that SIGGRAPH, as, as you might see it known sometimes, uh, made as a test bed for what the Nintendo 64 could be because it was based on the same chipset. Using that experience, they tried to port that demo to the N64, but at the time they were working on, they were trying to play it around with the N64 hardware and the PlayStation hardware. And they just determined the N64 hardware couldn't do what they needed it to do. What's interesting about that to me is because I feel like if and this is just me playing, not devil's advocate, but just kind of running off of like what ifs. Like, had they been developing with the Sony PlayStation from the beginning, if it would have looked a little smoother? Because a lot of games from that time don't quite have that polygonal look that Final Fantasy VII does. So there's there there is way more in depth research than than we have done on this that has been done by other people. Apparently, because we're talking when this is going on, we're in the first couple of years of the PlayStation. Sony initially didn't give Square all of the little inroads to okay. stuff. Okay. However, as part of this deal that came out, because 
this is this is this is an industry changing moment that happens. Square jumps ship from Nintendo and goes to Sony. Sony is a new player in the video game space. Now, granted, Sony is a huge name in Japan already, so it it causes ripples throughout the 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 industry. Oh yeah, I mean, this was a massive move for the time. Square had been line, aligned with Nintendo for for years, and they were considered basically, like you said, second part developers. But the move to a CD-based console allowed them freedom to make the game they really wanted, more cinematic with the high-end visuals and music to go along with the gameplay. And that's one thing you can definitely tell in Final Fantasy VII is the music is just, from a audio point of view, such a step up. For sure. And, 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 and it, this is not to, to speak ill of the music for Final Fantasy VI, which is fantastic. There's but, just only so much you can do on that 16-bit hardware. You have right. CD-quality audio coming out. You still have... And, and it's funny, there are actually... Uh, Uematsu, the composer for all the Final Fantasy games, actually said that he couldn't make the massive amount of music that he wanted to make, the super high-quality music, because in order to do that, it would increase the load time on the disc, and he wanted everything to be seamless. That's crazy. That's, that is crazy. And it, it's interesting because the, there's much more music in 8, and more of it is orchestral throughout a lot of 8. And there are <laughs> some load times. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, but that game is also graphically a, a, a huge step in, in a different direction. And it, 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 Apparently, once the Sony and Square deal came through, Sony capitulated to some things and let Square know about some some coding proficiencies and 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 sort of things to to get the stuff to do it here's yeah we know you risked it all in this one game but here here here's how you can really develop for our system yeah but, but again so so at this point you have square and sony teaming up and sony basically footing the bill for a ton of the marketing because another side effect of this is that we'll get into some of this a little bit later on but J- jrpgs japanese rpgs as we know them today were really huge in Japan, but they were a really niche market in the U.S. And that's something that you, we really have to stress because a lot of people look back with this fondness to the era. But I'm I'm going to tell you right now, nine out of ten people that t- talk about these classic games did not play them when they came out because a lot of them weren't massive successes when they came out. Yeah, I I know one kid in the fifth grade that played Final Fantasy three, what which we now know today as Final Fantasy six. One kid, and he talked about it a lot. I had never heard of it before. I had not played it. And Were you then, that kid, Drew? No, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't that kid. I, Because I, my first Final Fantasy game, my first JRPG, was Final Fantasy VII, which opened that door, and I then went back and played a ton of other stuff. Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, Xenogears, uh, uh, all these other... The floodgates had opened at that point. And we'll, again, we'll talk about that, because let's get into... Let's get into the Final Fantasy VII, the game. Now, this game came out in 1997. It's more than 20 years old. There are going to we are not going to be super spoil, spoilery right now. No, especially because uh, <laughs> one of our our dear friends from our po- other podcast, Cosmic Crit, is playing through the game with Drew right now, and he has somehow avoided all the massive spoilers. Ex- including the big, as as Drew calls it, the "I am your father" moment of this game. I I can't believe, which it. I find incredible. I, I'm I'm shocked, on shocked, on shocked, uh, because 
imagine you're you're you've put this disc into the system for the first time. You turn on the game, it starts, and you see this this massive like city after you've seen this girl's face. And at the time, granted it was 1997, everything looks amazing. It does, yeah. And and you suddenly you see a cut to this train running through the screen. And then it pans over the city a little more and it cuts to this train moving across the screen. And then it cut and then the the city zooms in onto this train station and you see the train pulling up and without skipping a beat, without a loading screen, without a pause, the character jumps off the train and you're in the game. And that the 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 Final Fantasy series as a whole, in terms of the 16-bit era onward, has been really good about establishing an opening. Uh, Six did that really well. Four does that very well. So I can't say that it's it's exclusive to this game, but the way it starts, like, in the middle of this mission, it just throws you into this action. And from a narrative standpoint, like, I find that so compelling. Like, you're just... It, it really makes you hypersensitive to everything going on around you. So you're picking up clues about the world and the characters as you're going. And I just, I like that engagement as a player experiencing the narrative in that frame because it's, it's tasking you to really get into the role. Yeah. And, and you couple that with the just upgrade in graphics, because again, we're moving from sprite 16 bit. Yeah. Yeah. Sprite based graphics of the 16 bit era. Basically, if you, if you're not familiar with what a, a sprite graphic is, anything that, that is proclaimed to be quote, eight bit graphics, most of the time is actually 16 bit graphics. Uh, and we're now moving into 3D polygon people, which if you look at them now, they look laughable, but that was the time. But also these wonderful pre-rendered backgrounds, these computer-created static images that were full of these tiny little details and some would have little blinking lights or little limited animation, and that they were able to merge the FMV, the full motion video, which is a term that you'd never hear anymore because it's become so mundane. And it's and it's, people have a nostalgia for it specifically if they grew up in this era. I've seen a couple games trying to to bring it back uh, at packs and stuff, but I don't think people really get the the joy unless they grew up. No one did it quite like Capcom with Resident Evil, where their FMV was actual actors <laughs> in these live action. Like, imagine if we got that in Final Fantasy. Like, imagine if they did that. Like how wild would that be? Uh, yeah, it would be pretty crazy. But but to go back but to go back to that and this and this intro sequence is not the only time that they do this. There are so many sequences where you see a pan out and suddenly the pre rendered background turns into this other amazing CG animated video, and it was just shocking and crazy. And the other side of that is that you also have to think about this game as. When it comes to the story, it's still very much swords and sorcery kind of stuff, but it is set in an urban city, at least to start with. You're in this gigantic metal city. You're not a knight riding a, a, a well, I was going to say a horse, but a chocobo around. You're not going from from tiny little little kingdom to other tiny little kingdom that's made up of four houses that look like this and like this and like this. It is all... It, it moved from steampunk to, I don't want to say cyberpunk. But I was going to say it's 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 a punk. <laughs> diesel punk might be the best. Yeah, because it's definitely not cyberpunk, but uh, diesel punks, yeah, or some something of that ilk. Um, 
because it definitely has that feeling where you almost I can I can just picture the the game journalist like reporting back from E3 like you know Final Fantasy has grown up yeah where it's like it's got this this kind of gruff edge and, it, and it, the weird <laughs> thing about the story is it's not any less ma- or more mature than Final Fantasy VI. Final Fantasy VI is a, a dark, mature story that deals with a lot of heavy stuff. But when you have those visuals and all of that atmosphere just oozing from the screen, especially from those first cutscenes, I mean, it's it's definitely a game changer. I know I goof a lot around about this game just because I grew up, you know, people getting onto me about eight my entire life. But Final Fantasy VII established so much that the JRPG genre owes a lot to. And a lot of people don't like saying this because people get in this mode where if a game is super, super popular and is seen as a game changer, oh, there must be something that's incorrect about that. There must have been something, some other game that did it first that was getting stomped on. But the fact of the matter is, other games may have done something, but in terms of, and this is the most important thing, bringing the JRPG to the Western audience and making them care, like, no game did that. And that was partly marketing. Like I said, Sony and Square worked together to market oh, the man, absolute... I remember on almost every comic book there is there is the the shot of Midgar and it says it is to a human what a de- what headlights are to a deer. <laughs> it was something like that and I was like what is this game? I remember vividly the Electronic Gaming Monthly FF7 launch cover. They had a matte white cover. I remember that, yeah. With with Cloud, the main character, Final Fantasy VII, with that big buster sword on his back, standing and staring up and looking at Midgar. It looks very much like the box art to the game, but that this this kind of thing was was sh- a little shocking to to the Square marketing team in the U.S. because all of a sudden they were getting requests for covers can we use this on the cover? And it's like, yes, of course you can. Yes, of course you can. And <laughs> right. And, and that's, and that's really the thing. This, the, the graphics in this game were honestly, th- this game also was weird in that you had a character model for the characters walking around in the world. And then you had a different, better looking character model when you actually got into one of the random battles in the game. Uh, because again, this was also a turn-based RPG, which is something that a lot of Americans and a lot of Europeans didn't really play, didn't really know, had to teach people what that kind of game was like. And, uh, and so, I mean, it looks cartoony now, 20 years later, but at the time you're comparing that to a little tiny squat, little 16 bit Sprite person that looks way more anime, way more cartoon of a different era. And this looks more mature. This looks cooler. And that's exactly what Sony was going for in their in their PlayStation marketing. They wanted this game to represent not just Japan, but Sony, the PlayStation brand. And it did. I mean, I mean, this is on the considered one of the most classic games of the Sony PlayStation era. And and the Sony PlayStation is known for really being a hotbed for basically genre pushing jrpgs the time like i i that's the one thing i get nostalgic for is i remember what was it the summer of adventure that that square did that was like chrono cross and um threads of fate and one other game where you just always had all of these jrpgs or jrpg adjacent games coming out and 
Vagrant Story. Um, Vag- oh, Vagrant Story. You know, you had Xenogears and you had just all of these cool games, even Parasite Eve, which was weird because it was like part kind of Resident Evil-like, part RPG. Like, what if Resident Evil was a JRPG? It's, it's, <laughs> it's insane. I love that game. And I kind of miss not just that ingenuity because, I mean, there's always so much you can do to push, you know, that time period. But I just miss all of these weird games. You know, something that, that uh, Cheska and Mike said last week that I did think about is a lot of the games now do kind of seem a little gray in terms of, like, they have muted color palettes. And I the one, the one kind of negative impact is I think everyone feels like they have to copy what FF7 did so well to to appeal to people. And I feel like they miss what makes final fantasy seven so good because the one thing we haven't really touched on yet is the story and the characters. And right. I think that is what has endeared people to this game for so long. So to, to start out, you, you were, were introduced to cloud cloud is on a mission from the character Barrett, uh, where he is a mercenary working for the uh, cloud is a mercenary hired by the terrorist organization avalanche. You start out this game as an eco-terrorist. That is storytelling that even though Final Fantasy VI and previous Final Fantasy games have gotten very dark, domestic terrorism, not something that was really a thing. That yeah, and I mean, had this game been developed a few years later, that probably would not have been a thing. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, probably but, not. Well, what's interesting is it's all in how it's framed, because the, the game frames Avalanche really as freedom fighters for the planet. And because we have, we get this kind of instance where like, yeah, we know this is bad for, that they are actually killing the earth. And this company is this, the evil corporation. It, it takes on some of the things that are easy to point out in, in our everyday lives and be like, no, 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 this is a real thing. Yeah. So yes, they're, they're a terrorist organization, but they're also kind of not. But they're not shy about even in 1997, showing you the people who work for the company that runs these reactors as being sort of, well, this is our way of life. This is how we do things. And and it, it told a story from multiple angles that yes. the Shinra company, the, the bad guys, are bad. And they are doing bad things to the planet and to people and to other stuff that we find out over the course of the game. But not everybody's bad. That works for these companies. And not everything that the good guys are doing in this game is good. And that is really something that is was a fascinating enhancement of storytelling for yeah. this particular game. And it's something that comes through in the remake really, really well. Like, Cloud's a mercenary and has no qualms about killing. He's a former soldier himself. So that comes up a lot and it's really interesting to see them grapple with that and i think that i think the remake itself does a very very good job we, we should we should also clarify soldier in this case is all capital letters soldier a very special a genetically enhanced well i guess it's not genetically enhanced it's it's like well they well they they, they do something with their their cells like they have they, they some expo- sort of they expose them to mako which is like the lifeblood of the planet this energy that comes from the planet and that changes their their being and they get these kind of interestingly colored blue eyes and they get stronger and not everybody survives it so you have to be blah 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 it's a whole it's 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 basically like they got a magic spell cast on them that makes them strong, but it's all done in a more sci-fi capacity than fantasy capacity, even though it's the lifeblood of the fan- the 
This is what I'm talking about. It's way more sci-fi, but that yes. fantasy element is still all up and in it, there. And it does show the shift that Square did for a little bit was focus a little bit more on the science fiction and a fantasy and, and just push in a different direction, which I thought was really cool because they did that with this, Xenogears, Final Fantasy VIII. Um, nine, not as much. Mine was a little, little bit more back to basics, but then ten has a lot of weird elements ten is ten is a whole other kit and caboodle that (laughs) i don't want to but again it all kind of comes through like final fantasy 10 the styling of that is a lot of the styling of final fantasy 7 the reason that cloud's hair is all spiky and weird and looks like it does and sticks out goku style is because that looks more interesting on a 3d character moving in space than somebody with flat normal hair yeah and i mean it does it also does kind of pay homage to a lot of kind of characters they had used before sure it 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 wasn't necessarily out of style for them to have a character that looked like that sure i mean look at look at chrono trigger i mean chrono trigger is uh uh, kira toriyama who did dragon balls art yeah and 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 all their hair looks like that yeah i mean exactly so but to, to move back to to the story because it's so easy to focus on midgar which is this big city that we are introduced to in the beginning of the game and that you play through for for the whole beginning of the game and that is another thing that is very different from previous final fantasy games previous final fantasy games you start in one location and you do that location pretty quickly and then you go out into the open world and you go across this big world map Final Fantasy mm-hmm. VII was a much slower experience at the beginning. Not to say that it was slow, but you were in this city, and you would go to this part of the city and this part of the city, and it was a little more linear than we were used to. But you got to meet more characters that way. Everything kind of kind of moved to this crescendo moment as you go to the top of this Shinra tower, and things happen, and then you have to escape the city. And then hours into the game you're finally on the world map and it's like you've had a complete game experience already but you've only just begun and that's something that as a as a gamer back in 1997 i was in middle school i was in seventh grade i had played a ton of games Mm -hmm. but having something that was one game for so long and then suddenly opened up into this whole extra thing even eclipses the light world dark world and link to the past for me because a lot of light world dark world is just a palette swap this isn't a palette swap this is just more well what what this game does i think on a massive scale in terms of its audience outreach is really hammer home the narrative and cinematic power of the medium like it shows what you can do with storytelling with the right tools because i mean we people have talked for years about how great chrono trigger and final fantasy VI's stories are i definitely see with six i think chrono trigger is really really good i really do i the story is is fine it's not six or seven for me but uh it's it's still a very fun game a very very great and gorgeous rpg but i think what's interesting about seven is it really showcases the ability to storytell in a cinematic fashion that I think the PlayStation really, really kind of glommed onto, and you saw it more so the next year with the release of Metal Gear Solid, because, man, you talk about cinematic experience. The opening, the opening of that game, it. W- I remembered playing that demo, 
at like midnight on a Friday night yeah. and it being mind blowing as I'm crawling across this first little bit, the credits are popping up on screen. And, and this is all stuff that games like Final Fantasy VII showed you could do. It rippled throughout the industry and that other companies seeing that, oh, Square went to Sony and this is what they can put out. We're going to do that. Enix, the, the company that makes Dragon Quest, another hugely popular, at least in Japan, JRPG line, moved to the PlayStation after this. They also went away from Nintendo and moved to Sony. There successfully were so, so. Successfully so. There were so many companies that, I don't want to say abandoned Nintendo, but saw what the Sony hardware could do. And that's so weird to think about what I know of like, because I, I played Nintendo 64 as well. I love Ocarina of Time and those big, huge games there. But you think about N64 is missing a well. It had some okay RPGs, but nothing, nothing on that level. Even GameCube had some solid RPGs, but the N64 is. I think they were really kind of reeling in house for a really like. And I'm not saying because I know someone's going to come at me and be like, "Well, this game was good." There were good games and good RPGs on some the of the greatest games of all time were on the Nintendo 64. Absolutely, but there was nothing in in the role playing genre on the level of what Square was doing with the PlayStation. I do want to shift focus and just and stop kind of you know fluffing this game and talk a little bit about the mechanics because you 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 mentioned that this was the first JRPG you had ever played. Yes. So how weird. As, because this, this was this was, uh, you're right. This was a big game for Western players. This actually, was a lot of people's actually, first RPGs. I just realized something. This wasn't the first JRPG I played. The first JRPG I ever played was Super Mario RPG. Okay. Which I think which was by Square. Which was also by Square. Which is funny. Talk about that Nintendo second party. <laughs> right. Uh, but I, so I think the idea of random battles. So I will say what. I would say about Super Mario RPG and what I think a lot of people didn't understand about Final Fantasy VII at the time is the idea of the random battle. You're Not just that and turn-based. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, and, and so that you walk around and all of a sudden something happens, the screen flashes, and you're on a battle screen. It was a little more jarring with Super Mario RPG because you could do things like jump on enemies' heads in the right. world, and all of a sudden that enemy wouldn't die. You were then in a battle screen. But... I remember yeah. the first time I played a JRPG, and it was it was Final Fantasy. I remember not strategizing how how I was playing. I was I was still in that kind of action game mindset. Oh yeah, I want to attack, I want to do magic. I wasn't really thinking with strategy. I wasn't worried about leveling up, and I really wasn't even worrying about what I was doing with the energy of the character, with the material system, and doing everything. Uh, to be honest, Final Fantasy VIII is the one that taught me how to do that. <laughs> because I just didn't really get it. I hadn't played a game like that. Because I I will full out admit, I did not play most of those classic games, with the exception of Super Mario RPG, until I was I was 18 or 19 and and probably ROMed them on my PC or something. I, I I didn't even own a Super Nintendo growing up. So that that was one thing. But I played a lot at my friend's house. But even Fantasy Star and stuff, that was more action-based. So uh, or not the the mana games. I'm sorry, the mana games were more action based, and so I just I didn't quite get it at the time. Yeah, and because I would have been I was born in '84. It came out in '97, so I was what 13 when it came out. Yeah, about like 12 or seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. Yeah, but so I just I just didn't really pick up on it. 
So, and, and I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I said, I was also born in 84. It, it clicked for me in a way that had I been a little younger or a little older, I'm not sure it would have. Mm. Because if you think about what, what times are like in middle school, at least back in 1997, I can't speak for how things are in middle school in 2020 because, well, people are still at home all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, back in the day, you, had, you didn't have Netflix. You had TV and flipping channels. And you might have a computer with the internet, but even then, you're not going to too much stuff. Yeah, there's no YouTube. There's nothing. There's no I mean, YouTube. Even if you watch a two-minute clip, took you about an hour. <laughs> you were still going to rent videos at Blockbuster or games at Blockbuster or another local video store. So when you talk about a game that could have all of its mental energy put on it, Final Fantasy VII coming out in 1997 is that game. I could spend hours figuring things out. I could go online on the family computer and look up a strategy guide for something. I could figure out, oh, this is why I'm not doing this right. This is why I'm not beating this boss. Or this is a great place to power level your characters. All this stuff, all these phrases that that I would then come to understand. Well, maybe not for Final Fantasy VIII because the leveling system was different than that. But, <laughs> but uh... <laughs> But but it, all it's, this, it's it's so weird. I mean, I love it, but it it, it is it is odd. But yeah. when, but when well, I played it, I didn't understand that it was odd. Yes, and, and so again, we'll, we won't we won't talk about Final Fantasy VIII too much. But uh, but that's the thing. It's it's one of those things that for the time I was the perfect age and the perfect time for this to be my favorite game. For this to be the game that mm-hmm. I played constantly and. Not necessarily played over and over again because it was a long game, but definitely playing it and playing it and playing it and playing it until it's way too late and you literally fall asleep with a controller in your hand, as Mm -hmm. I did with that game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that I did again in 2019 with Red Dead Redemption 2 for completely different reasons. (laughs) I still have not played Red Dead Redemption 2. You know, it's I hear it's a fine game. I just wasn't in the right mental state for it. Anyway, we're talking about Final Fantasy 7 right now. Uh, so I do we do have to talk about something spoilery with this game. Okay. So we're going to take we're currently about 38 minutes into the episode. I want everybody to skip ahead. Oh, this is so tough. You know, it's a 20-something-year-old game, and as long as Tyler doesn't listen to it, I think I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. T- we, Tyler, Tyler, just just shut this off right now yeah, if you're listening. Yeah, just doesn't he listen to our show? I don't think he listens to our show. It's okay. I'm going to tell him not to listen to this episode anyway. Uh, and it, like I said, it's a 20-something-year-old game. We wouldn't normally care about spoilers for a 20-something-year-old game, but I know a lot of people are also playing through the remake having never played the original. Right. So I'm going to do a three-second count... And then I'm going to say something spoiler related, and we're going to talk about that for like 45 seconds, and then we're going to go back. And I don't know how you're going to know that we're back, but we're going to do that. So three, two, one. The fact that this game, Final Fantasy VII, had the unmitigated gall to introduce you to a character to attach you to that character 
give you no indication that that character is going to be any different than any other character in a game and be a part of your team for the entire time. And then to kill that character in front of you and execution not style. execution <laughs> style and not have them ever come back was such a different moment in gaming for yep. so many people. Mm-hmm. I think we're at time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was like, we're, we might have to uh, cut that a little bit because <laughs> that was a little bit long of a pause. Um, I'm going to leave it just, just in case people want to skip through, but up. Uh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so, so for for what you said, yes, and it's something that later games would maybe pick up on on how to utilize characters, but to to do that to your narrative, I, I can't think of any game that had done something like that prior. I mean, not 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 to 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 someone you played. I don't at think. least at least not in that type of game. No, and not on that scale. It was it was a bold move, and it was one and, that emboldened emboldened them for to the fact that when you played later games you don't trust the narrative for anybody anymore no not no more Uh uh-uh and i love that because i mean even playing uh eight and i think that's what's so great about that is every game afterwards you you feel a little unsafe in that i can't get to attach this character because who knows what's going to happen yeah so and, and and they play with they they really play with that in eight and they play with that a lot in ten and they don't do it as much in some of the late the later games. Um, I know I know thirteen does some really interesting narrative stuff, uh, but fifteen is a whole other can of worms. Fifteen is a whole other can of worms. So, so th- this is this is where I feel like we're way, <laughs> we're way beyond. No, the but I just wanted to talk now. about about how the narrative decisions that they make in that game had a ripple effect. I would say almost on the genre as a whole. Absolutely. And that's, and I mean, again, novels could be written about final fantasy seven story and, it's and have been, and have been, uh, the Final Fantasy VII oral history book by Polygon is out there. You can get it. Yeah, I just wish they had a U.S. distributor because I don't want to pay like fifty bucks for it. Yeah, <laughs> I really, I really want it, and I've paid. I mean, I have, I, I, I have some hardcover Final Fantasy books that I have, I have paid for more than I should have. But <laughs> I, 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 uh, I just, I, I want to have it because I love game development. I love the stories about them, and Final Fantasy VII has a very interesting narrative. Um, so let's talk about like I would say the the impact on on players. So you are twelve. We are uh, thirteen years old when this comes out, and you know I, I spoke a little bit about how it affects what you look on, uh, what you look at in terms of Square games. But what did it make you think about in terms of the possibilities of gaming? After that came out, because we we grew up. I I, I kind of love the fact that we grew up when we did because it was the video game industry was constantly growing, and we got to see kind of the very beginning and to to now. And I kind of love that because it always felt like something new was happening. So, so this is going to sound like a very strange thing to say, but this game feels Japanese. It feels. Like and honestly, I grew up playing Super Nintendo, uh, playing Super Mario, Sonic the Hedgehog, other Japanese games. But those games, for some reason, don't 
evoke like a different, more international flavor. If that that sounds like that sounds so dumb to say, but it, it's it's a a different way of looking at the world and looking at storytelling specifically because there's not a ton of storytelling in Mario games or or Sonic the Hedgehog games or even in Legend of Zelda, which is which is very you know oh it's use the sword beat these bad guys. This game opened up narrative storytelling for me in a way that I hadn't really noticed before. And and I, I feel like after this, I started playing a lot more PlayStation games. I started playing games like Resident Evil, another Japanese game, although it's set in America with American stuff. It's still a little bit of a different flavor. It's still a little more cinematic. Metal Gear Solid is a huge, huge game for me. Yeah. Uh, Resident, Resident Evil, I do feel like, even though it has, it takes the American zombie and the American haunted mansion type thing, for the first, I would say, quarter of that game, it does feel like an American horror film. But the rest of that game is pure <laughs> Japanese insanity, and I love it. Uh, which is informed by a lot of the, the anime they were making at the time as well. Sure. Um, I, I think it's probably around this time that I was conscious of anime as a thing. Because if you if you're like us and you grew up around a certain time, you saw certain shows on TV like Voltron and Sailor Moon and Speed Racer. And there's a time that we click that, oh, this is a cartoon, but this is a cartoon not made in America. This is a cartoon made in a different country with different cultural norms and that's why this car is driving on the wrong side of the road and that's why this looks like this and we i I feel like i know we're not the first generation to know what anime is in america that that's a a dumb thing to say but there's a, a cultural awareness that you gain at a certain point that i and i think the internet is a big part of that that's just opened up the door to so many other things in in as far as entertainment is concerned yeah, I mean, it, for me, I, I remember the Final Fantasy games meaning a lot to me in terms because I, I had the stupid idea that they, they were the ones, they were the only ones doing that because I, I just hadn't had my eyes open to the rest of the genre yet. And, but they, they, were the, they were the big ones that were doing it. And I just remember thinking that the possibilities to tell this story like there were so many ways you could have made Final Fantasy VII. You could have called it something else, and you could have made it a twenty-six episode anime. You could have made it a fifty-six uh, volume manga, but they chose <laughs> video games as the medium. And oddly enough, have not made a twenty-six episode anime. Have not made a fifty-six volume manga. I wish they would. To be perfectly, we honest. might get a seven volume video game remake, but. <laughs> Yeah, we, we we absolutely will. It might be a 56-volume <laughs> remake. <laughs> we'll see. Um, because a lot of times, you want to experience those stories. You want to get the, those emotional beats without having to pour 80, hour, 80, hour, eh, 80 hours into the game, as a lot of players will want to do, because there's so many nooks and crannies. You could spend easily 80 to 100 hours on, on these games. And... I, I do wish that Square would do that. They they have threw some bones in terms of some projects, but those projects came out, I would say, mixed bags at best. Yeah, at children. Yeah. Um, but there was something that to be said about this is an experience you can only get 
playing this video game like because anyone who 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 does some of the, the tricks they pull some of the narrative devices that they use if they do if they stick too closely well oh they just copy final fantasy 7 they they did something like you said it had not really been done before and i i i can't say that it hasn't been done to any degree since but it you know you you always forget you always remember your first and this this game did something to narrative storytelling in the medium of video games that i i know it sounds hyperbolic but you have to know the time we're talking about and just the degree of which final fantasy 7 influenced how we tell stories through the gaming medium cannot be overstated. And I say that as someone who was always downplayed Final Fantasy VII, but <laughs> speaking realistically, you really can't. This game, there's a reason this game is usually on, on everyone's upper echelons of games. Even if you look at it through certain lenses and don't think it belongs there, and that's fine, you don't have to, you cannot take away the influence that this game release had. You're absolutely right. And this game, because of its popularity, is within certain circles looked down upon as, oh, well, oh, that's not the real Final Fantasy player's favorite Final Fantasy. It's the one that everyone played. It's the... And and I don't have time for that kind of talk. No. I mean, yes, it's the one everyone played because it was the one that everyone had the most access to. And, and it was the, the good one. It was really good. There's a reason that Final well, Fantasy... Well, I mean, let's be fair. Final Fantasy VI is very, very good. We can't, yes. we can't, we can't, Final, we can't say so, that. So here's, here's what I will say, because we should probably, I'm looking at the clock, we should go into to what the end result for Square was. So Square has launched this game, and they've launched it worldwide. It was actually months after the Japanese launch and they actually added stuff to the American launch so much stuff that they re-released it in Japan with called the international version that had all the changes and additions they made to the American. I wonder if that's the first time they did that because they definitely did with kingdom hearts. Yes, I the final I, remixes. And those, I'm talking those about, were I, not those. Those were a little different because those were were stuff that they added, and some of that stuff didn't come to America at first. Right, and you had to like import it from the UK. Yeah, so um, so I, I don't know the answer to that question. I would not be surprised if that was the case. Uh, but I so in I'm gonna put it in this perspective. Final Fantasy VI sold under the name Final Fantasy III for the Super Nintendo in the U.S sold about 400,000 copies over its lifetime in the in the US alone. Did way better in Japan. I mean, but yeah. you know. Well, uh, that's but, why when I tell people who who talk about how, had them playing Final Fantasy 6 in the SNES days, I'm like, "No, you didn't. It didn't sell that great." <laughs> like I said, I knew one kid. I actually knew a kid who would tell me about weapons and armor that I would then old uh, find out about the Atma weapon later on in life. Uh, but so you you have that context, right? Yeah. Final Fantasy VII releases in the United States and sells more than a million copies in the first three months of release. It then goes on to continue to sell on the PlayStation. It has a PC release put out by IDOS. If you remember IDOS, that was the original... Uh, yeah, I remember uh, that one. Tomb Raider. IDOS is now consequently owned by Square. Enix. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, they're owned by Square now. I think they might have put out the PC release for eight as well. They didn't. That is a whole other. Ki- ki- 
that's a whole other side of things. Uh, okay. EA actually put out the the release of eight. Did they? Yeah, in the U.S. It might have been IDOS in Europe, but it was EA in the U.S. Okay. I, I, so I, I when I, we, uh, as some of you might know, Drew and I went to college together. <laughs> I played Final Fantasy VIII on PC while I was at Wofford because I didn't bring my PlayStation. So I, I bought the PC version <laughs> on eBay <laughs> and played it in my dorm freshman year in March. <laughs> That's funny. That's very funny. Uh, so, uh, which that PC version, which again, because nothing was stopping Square from making a PC version that that's actually if you have played Final Fantasy 7 since the PS1 days if you've played the Steam release if you have played the PS4 release even there those are all based on the IDOS PC version not on the the, the right. PlayStation 1 original because of a whole other thing about how nobody saved data back then because data was too pr- data storage space was too precious so they deleted the originals which of so much stuff. It blows my mind. It which just is, blows my mind. It, it, well, especially it, with our modern storage spaces and hearing how much data it was, I'm like, what? I've got that over there in the corner. It's collecting dust in the I mean, closet. Yeah, it's it, they did that, and that's the reason it took so long for Final Fantasy VIII to get put out. It's it's a whole they, well, and they also did the whole like rem. Uh, remaster thing which i i appreciate so yeah so th- again that's a whole other thing that i'm glad that we had those pc versions that somebody kept some source code somewhere but even then it's not as good as it could be it's not as good as it could be but so you have you have this this multi-million dollar success square is now a huge developer they're putting out tons of games they're putting out final fantasy 8 was the next year can you believe that, Miles? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I remember reading a lot uh, because I one of my hard bet books is about Final Fantasy VIII. It's called The Legend of Final Fantasy VIII. Um, and they were developed close to the same time. So it's, it's while it seems insane, Square, once upon a time, was really on the ball with putting out releases because what was the what was the length of time between eight and nine? Uh, I want to say it was another year. Yeah. Because 10 was 2000, wasn't it? Or was it 2001? 2001, I think. Yeah, uh, Final Fantasy IX was 2000. So e- even at a two-year gap. It's pretty amazing that how they could do that. And po- a lot of that, I, I really want to put... Oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, 8 came out in 99. Okay, I'm sorry. And then t- 9 came out the very next year. But even still at two years, both these games are multi-disc RPGs. That it's it's insane how much like I I how much I, and, and they were putting that out alongside other games like Xenogears, like Chrono Cross, like Vagrant Story, like Parasite oh, yeah. Eve, all of these other games that were and, happening. And a lot of these games were really selling. If you were on the PlayStation's greatest hits, if you ever had a release, that meant you sold over a million copies. I mean, and these games were, like like Drew said, were doing massive. I mean, Final Fantasy VIII grossed $151 million in its first day of release in Japan. And so Square is kind of on top of the RPG world at this point. And they they thought all right well let's 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 do the next step and, and then, let's create a final fantasy cg animated film that fi- came out in 2001 final fantasy the spirits within came out in the year 2001 it came out i want to say uh, i guess 2001 I, I should look that up 
Um, it. The thing about this this game, we're gonna talk more about this uh, this interesting project in in a future episode. Yeah. This um, this. But I, I, what I will say about this movie right now is that this movie was a gorgeously animated CG movie. It was a. It was released in theaters. It had yes. the voice talents of actors like Ming Na Wen. Alec Baldwin, Donald Sutherland, so, Ving Rhames, I think, was in that movie. A ton of other people were in that movie. ton of Hollywood stars. Yes. Uh, but sadly, this film was both a uh, critical commercial and fan failure, and it lost more than $50 million at the box office. And Square itself was in the red for the first time in years. A- as a result, a number of ho- uh, high-profile people left the company, including Sakaguchi. And that's so, all I really want to talk about the spirits within right yeah. now because we so, will be touching on it later we'll, this we'll, year. We will, yes. So Hironobu Sakaguchi, the, the, basically the, the creative lead of Final Fantasy and a lot of other Square games at the time. He's the reason Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9 exist. He is the reason that those games were what they were as the sort of creative director. He decides to make this movie and he co-directs this movie. And it flops hard. And I don't know whether this is a particularly Japanese thing, but when times of of financial trouble, at least at the time, the CEO of Square and Sakaguchi basically resigned from the company out of shame, disgrace, honor. I'm not sure what the term of that is. But what that meant was that Square as a company became very different very quickly suddenly there was a power vacuum and you didn't have the Sakaguchi, the one person making all these decisions. And you started having games designed by committee. At least that's what people that also that were developers that left around the same time thought you have, uh, just a lot of kind of up and downs and things. And around this time, it's when they announced something called the compilation of final fantasy seven, because when you have <laughs> when you have some financial troubles, what better than to go back to the old cash cow of right. your most famous game of all time? And they release uh, in fairly quick succession, a, a same year over the course of a couple of years, a CG sequel film called Final Fantasy VII Advent Children and two different prequel games, Final Fantasy VII Dirge of Cerberus, uh, on the PlayStation 2, which was f- uh, featuring a prequel story about the character Vincent from Final Fantasy VII, and Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, which I'm not going to say who that stars because of spoilers for a 23-year-old game. Uh, One of the things that I thought was interesting about that era was because do, do you do you know offhand and you probably you might not when square kind of got back in the red because i i feel like by that by the time the that or by, in the black sorry by the time that happened i mean i feel like uh kingdom hearts was already out and a global phenomenon kingdom hearts is around i think the time that they because they talked about how they were starting to come back in uh, with Final Fantasy Ten Two, which would have been maybe two thousand two, two thousand three, and that's when Kingdom Hearts came out was two thousand two. So okay, that's around that time. So and it was also around this time that Square and the company Enix, which was a competitor to Square, merged 
The two big JRPG companies were now one gigantic JRPG company. They bought IDOS. They bought uh, Taito. They bought a couple of other companies as part of this time. And um, I can't comment too much about the 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 compilation of Final Fantasy VII stuff because I've only seen Advent Children, and I didn't like it very much. Uh, no, but I, I will say, and that's what I was going to touch on, uh, you may not like Alvin. So people are kind of hit or miss with it. Some people love it for its absurdity. Some people hate it because it doesn't have the narrative strength of Final Fantasy VII. Almost universally, it's agreed that it's a gorgeous film and is a great looking music video. But that movie made money, and it was the, it made money. It was also the way that the the costumes from that game are the way that the characters were seen for years after that. Uh, yeah, and some of the people who voiced characters in that game and in Kingdom Hearts maintained those roles until the remake. I'm actually kind of sad that Rachel Lee Cook isn't playing Tifa because she was a really good Tifa. I don't know. The Tifa they got is pretty good. Though. Oh, she's great. Don't get me wrong. I told you <laughs> how much I love Tifa in the remake, but Rachel Lee Cook did such a good job, I'm, and I'm I could sh- see her doing as good a job in this. I'm not sure I miss Lance Bass Sephiroth. That was one game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all he did was make action noises. I don't want to hear. You You only know that because you looked it up in the book. No, I remember that being a thing because, like, the guy from NSYNC is going to be Sephiroth? <laughs> and, no one, and no one would have known otherwise if you hadn't known. It wasn't like it. Oh, that's, that sounds like. And the the, uh, the girl from Even Stevens was, was Eris. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of big stars. David Boreanaz was uh, Squall. Slash which, Leon, which is yeah, not a which, Final Fantasy VII character. Which I, I mean, in the fan casting at no, the time. I'm sorry, she was Rachel, uh, uh, even Stevens, and I'm sorry, I should know her name, and I don't. Um, uh, she was not Eris. She was uh, uh, Yuffie. Yeah, Mina Savari was because Eris. Mina Savari was was. I, I so that's another thing. Eris, Aerith, Eris, Aerith. That's a whole other thing to get into. But I mentioned I mentioned those games because at this time. Actually, slightly before this, Square makes this big announcement that they are going to release Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation 2. And they're going to do it on DVD with enhanced audio, and it's probably going to be on one disc instead of three discs. And not only that, but Final Fantasy VIII and Final Fantasy IX are going to come along, too. You remember those releases, right, Miles? I do. No, you don't, because they never happened. No, well, I thought you meant like the compilation stuff they were doing at the time. No, I mean that they were going to release 7, 8, and 9 as individual releases on DVD for the PlayStation 2. And those games didn't happen. But what that sparked in the Final Fantasy VII fandom and the JRPG fandom and video game fandom as a whole is, wait, we could remake Final Fantasy VII? We could get a Final Fantasy VII remake? Well, I will say the remake uh, talk really started activating like there might have been some people saying that but the 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 conversation really started in 2005 when playstation or sony at their e3 playstation 3 tech demo showcased what final fantasy 7 as they put it could look like on the playstation 3 and everyone and their mother myself included even though i didn't care if they remade it or not to be perfectly honest I, I was like, why would you put the effort into doing that and then say, oh, yeah, we're not working on that? It was just a tech demo to show off their new system. And it was it was gorgeous. It was crazy. And again, that stoked this. This was 2005. Oh, my gosh. 15 years ago. <laughs> 15 years ago. <laughs> Almost 15 years ago to the day. <laughs> 
And then in 2017, the 20th anniversary of Final Fantasy VII, it happens. They're showing at the, they're showing this E3 press conference with no leaks. I don't think with no leaks, and all of a sudden they start this video, and wait, wait, what game is it? <gasps> <gasps> And then it was an official Final Fantasy VII remake announcement, something that I personally uh, was super excited for, super nervous about, because I've played Final Fantasy XV. I've played some of Final Fantasy XIII. I've played some of, of Kingdom Hearts <laughs> two and three. Well, I, will, I will say, and I definitely feel this, I think they learn. I, I have a feeling that that Square learned a lot of their lessons from the bungling of Final Fantasy XV and its narrative, and they knew if there's one game they can say, "Well, we're going to split this into multiple parts just to get it right. We want you to give you, give you the best possible version of this." They knew the one game they could do that with, and. Guarantee sales, no matter what, was Final Fantasy VII. This game was going to sell a million copies regardless. Yeah, and and there might be people who boohoo on that, but I this game was going I mean, to sell and, no matter what. And that's the big question, Miles. After all this time, was the Final Fantasy VII remake worth it? Well, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> but. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally was. <laughs> from from here, I think this is where we need to to put a little uh, put a little save point on our Final Fantasy VII conversation. Yeah, you're you're gonna hear uh, probably some more Final Fantasy talk uh, in the future, and uh, you can hear it uh, every Thursday every and and some Saturdays if you go to Twitch.tv/CosmicCrit, where Tyler and I are playing that game with our old friend Mike from the Morian Nerd, who is joining in on that. Who we are actively trying to get some time to to pop back on the show. Yeah, um, yeah, I, and that that's something that's going to come up. But this this has been really fun. The comfort food has been really fun. But you know. And I, I do. I am. I'm very glad that you brought up the the anime style and that we closed on a Japanese RPG because we're going to kind of keep a, a similar theme for the next month. Hmm. Interesting. Well, right now it's April. Hmm. Miles, what what could this be? It's gonna be anime. Anime. Anime is back, folks. Oh my gosh, it's going to happen. And this year, The Morian Nerd is going to be doing one of our very famous deep dives, our deep dives into a show where we're going to watch the entirety of a particular, well, of a season of a particular show uh, for, for, the, for the whole of anime and talk about it in as much detail as we can for the time that we have. And, and that show is... Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. I'm very, very excited to do this. Uh, one, because Ghost in the Shell was, I think, during the first month I was ever on this show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, I think it was like Donnie Darko, The Thing, and then Ghost in the Shell. It was it was in the same little period. Miles, we've been uh, doing this show for so long, I forgot we did the Ghost in the Shell movie, the animated yes. movie on the uh, show. We did. It was you, me, Mike, and Patrick. But... Um, I have never seen Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. I have watched this series 
several times all the way through. It is a fantastic series. It is uh, we're doing this partially in honor of the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex 24 the, the one that's on Netflix that just came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh because that is that is now Last out week. and available. It was just well, yeah. I can't time means nothing in the middle of quarantine miles. I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't been outside since March. Uh, it's uh, Ghost in the Shell SAC 2045 is the current show on Netflix. And th- this is part of the reason I want to do it because I had never seen it. Drew has been telling me for years that I need to see it, that I would love it because I like the movie. I And it's a very important movie in the um, – the word I want to I want to say, but in, in the kind of oeuvre of uh, the echelon of anime classics, and that that I never followed up on anything else goes to the shell is kind of crazy. So yeah, we're gonna be watching the first season of the standalone complex throughout May, uh, and I'm really excited to go back to doing deep dives. Drew and I are. I've always been big fans of doing the deep dives. I think we were the two kind of uh, cheerleaders for it back when there was four of us. Yeah. So uh, so with that said, we are going to be next week talking about the first six episodes. One, two, three, four, five, six episodes of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Compact Season 1. You might ask, where can we find this streaming? This is going to be a little complicated. And it's going to be based on where you are located in the United States. It is available on Cartoon Network's website to stream with commercials. It is also, thanks to the Netflix series, pretty cheap right now if you just want to buy the series. I think it's like 10 or 15 bucks on Amazon, 10 or 15 bucks on iTunes. iTunes, yeah. It's, 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 it's super, super cheap. The Blu-ray is $18 for season one. Uh, it's going to get till May. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's it's pretty yeah you might not be able to get it until then but <laughs> but uh but we're going to be deep diving in i'm excited to talk about this because i love the ghost in the shell movie i think it's gorgeously animated i think it is a fantastic movie but this series hues closer to the original manga it has a little more fun it's a little more open it's a little more talkative and not staring off into the space contemplating mortality and what it means to be human but it still covers those things in a slightly different style the music is done by musician yoko kano which has done music for uh macross plus one of my favorites of all time cowboy bebop a few other big hits uh big ones and and i have i have opinions about macross plus but the music is fantastic so i am really looking forward to to getting you in that and possibly another individual might be joining us oh yeah our 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 previously mentioned friend tyler is also a huge anime nerd he is a current player with us on cosmic crit he's been there with us since the beginning uh, one of our old friends from Destiny as well. And uh, he's a massive, massive anime fan and has agreed to go through this series which, with us, which is something I want to talk about. If you are listening to the show, I know we ask you every week, but specifically through these deep dives, our hope is that you will watch along with us in the in the way that we are doing. So for this next week, watch the first six episodes, if you're able, of Standalone Complex. And please... Email us your thoughts, especially if it's your first time. What do you think? Like, I don't care if you send me a 140-word tweet or if you send us an email or a Facebook uh, message. Just let us know what you think because we would love to kind of share 
the opinions of, of listeners on the show. It's just people seem shyer than they used to be. We used to be swimming in emails. I know, I, I know a lot. I know a lot of folks are are not listening to as many podcasts right now because you're no longer commuting, um, right? Uh, that that has definitely happened with me. <laughs> so I'm t- I had a I had a, a podcast queue of three when the when the quarantine started, and it's up to twenty now, and that's with I, listening to a lot of them still. I'm so. the same. So I will also put this out in on on our Facebook and on our Twitter. Uh, to watch along with this. So even if you're not listening right now, even if you're not going to be listening for another month or so, because yeah, you've got no reason to watch along with us because I, I want to know what everyone thinks. I've never seen it. So I'm, I want to share this experience. And I know Drew, folks are looking for stuff to do. That's another yeah. thing. So and, watch, and for so the total cost of this. nothing on adult swim. Yeah. Uh, so with that said, if you would like to reach out to us, of course, at the Morian Nerd on Twitter, Facebook.com slash the Morian Nerd, which I know we're not as good about on Facebook as we are on Twitter. I'm sorry for that. We're working on it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I need I need to get a little bit better. I have shared a couple, like what one other thing. Uh, I need to get better about sharing random news and stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, since I do, <laughs> I, I'm, if you're talking to someone on the on the Twitter or social media, it's typically me. If you're emailing someone, it's typically Drew. Yeah. So email us themoreunerd at gmail.com, themoreunerd at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about Final Fantasy VII. Tell us what you think about Final Fantasy VII remake, and I'll read it, and I'll tell Miles not to read it because I finished it and he hasn't. <laughs> Uh, because he's going to be too busy watching Ghost in the Shell for the next month. Uh, but also tell us what you think about Ghost in the Shell standalone complex or the the franchise as a whole. I have held off on watching the new Netflix series because I wanted to go through this with with Miles and and Tyler. And I'm excited to do this because I love this show very, very much. And I'm very excited to watch it again because I haven't really done a whole watch through. I've watched episodes here and there over the last few years last decade i'll watch this one or i'll watch this one uh but i'm really excited i'm 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 very very pumped so we will end this show as we always do because that's all she wrote for this week we will <laughs> see you next month for anime for ghost in the shell standalone complex season one the first six episodes so and- drew Let's end the show like we always do. With a rousing, With a rousing. Final Fantasy VII. Da 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 da. Nerd out. <laughs>